This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Coming up on On the Mark with Mark Carmen, my tie guy. That's right. He caught a walk-off homer in the bleachers at Wrigley Field, and he got crushed on social media for it. That's my guy, my tie guy. He's coming up, and so is Hawk Harrelson, the longtime voice of the Chicago White Sox. Hawk, a White Sox ambassador now, one of the greatest voices in the history of baseball. We'll talk about Harold Baines going to the Hall of Fame and a whole lot more on the mark with Mark Carmen starts right now. All right, we're leading off the show with my Thai guy. And before we get to my guy, Chris, I got to tell you the story on my Thai guy. My Thai guy, who you will learn, likes to hang out in the bleachers. Most my Thais he's ever drank in one game, 16 my Thais. That's a lot of my Thais. That was back in the day. My Thai guy on this night, Last Tuesday night, six Mai Tais. And yes, he's got a jersey that says Mai Tai Guy. In fact, he's got seven jerseys that say Mai Tai Guy. One for every single damn day of the week. Way to go, Mai Tai Guy. Now that is a little over the top for me. I'm not a jersey guy. I'm not even a hat guy. If I'm going to a baseball game or a basketball game a football game, a hockey game. I'm not wearing a sweater. I'm not wearing a jersey. I'm not wearing a hat. I'm not wearing any of that. I'm there as an adult. I don't quite get the whole wear a jersey thing. If you're a kid, cool. But as an adult, like you want to show your allegiance, I don't know, maybe it's that I've worked in sports media or maybe I'm just not a happy person. Like I, It's too much joy for me to put on a jersey and show you, yeah, this is my cool Kyle Schwarber or Aloy Jimenez or Michael Jordan, LeBron James. I just don't do that. It's not my thing. So the jersey thing with my tie guy, promoting yourself, thats it's over the top, granted. But I've been going to baseball games for a long time. And I was fortunate enough, or have been at least, to catch some foul balls. And the first foul ball I ever caught, was in Dodger Stadium, sitting there with my buddy Brian Adler. Pitcher's at the plate, squares around a bunt, foul ball, off the off the, uh, off the the bat, easy play as it just lightly floated over the screen, had great seats behind on plate, caught it. Now, am I supposed to give that ball to a kid? My first ever foul ball? And I don't remember if there were any kids there, but it was the first time I caught a foul ball. So I was going to keep it. I don't think that makes me a bad person. And my tie guy, and by the way, yes, I don't know where that ball is. I played with it. I probably threw it around on some softball field, and now it's gone. But the point is, it was my first foul ball. I don't think you should judge somebody like that. Got to give it to a kid. Got to give it to a kid. Got to give it to a kid. My tie guy, 
caught a walk-off home run off the bat of Kyle Schwarber. He had never caught a walk-off home run before. And there were two kids who were reaching in the basket at Wrigley Field who also wanted the baseball. Now these kids, as I learned, meeting my tie guy, they had already gotten batting practice balls. They had a great night at Wrigley Field. All of it. But yet, social media, and perhaps some people in the park that night, thought my tie guy should give the ball to a kid, you jerk. Hey man, why can't an adult keep a baseball? Do you really think those kids are impacted in a negative way because they didn't get the ball? Now they'll look at the game as that game that my tie guy didn't give me the baseball? I don't think so. I think they remember it as the night that they were there that Kyle Schwarber had a sweet home run and I had a great time and I was in the front row and it was awesome. I don't think they're telling their friends, hey, yeah, that guy Chris, my tag guy, he told the ball and my night sucked. No. They were sitting in the bleachers. They had a great time. They saw a walk-off. It was an amazing night. It was probably the best night of their summer, even though they didn't get the baseball. And there is a rule in here, by the way. You've got to earn your way to the baseball. Getting it by somebody handing it to you versus catching it yourself, there's a big difference there. It feels a whole lot better when you actually go and get it and catch it or grab it out of the basket, I suppose, versus somebody handing it to you. That's not the same, right? Here you go, little Billy. No, little Billy, go get the ball. You're going to feel awesome when you do. And you might not get it as little Billy. You might have to wait till you get it as big Billy. And all of that is okay. And I want to bring one more thing into the conversation here. Nobody knew that those kids already had baseballs, but yet here we are, social media, Twitter, people just crushing my Thai guy, crushing him. And they're crushing him on the radio. They're probably crushing him on podcasts somewhere as well. I mean, you don't know the guy. You don't know the circumstance. And yet it turns into a bully situation. F you, my tight guy, what a jerk. You should throw yourself off the bleachers. I mean, I can read some of these tweets that I wrote up as I was supporting my tie guy. And people just absolutely going nuts. I asked my Thai guy, does he want to become the next Ronnie Woo Woo? If you don't know who Ronnie Woo Woo is, Ronnie Woo Woo would hang out on the L stop. He'd hang out in the ballpark. He'd hang out at the bars. He'd hang out anywhere, and he would just woo away. He'd he'd say a Cubs player's name and woo. Sandberg woo. Grace woo. Dunstan woo. Sosa woo. Except it was really high-pitched and could be considered annoying. But in my mind, the dude's a legend. He wore a Cubs jersey and walked around Wrigley Field. I don't know if he ever washed the jersey. And people like decided to hate on Ronnie Woo Woo. But whenever Woo Woo walked around, I'd see people screaming, Woo Woo, what's up, Woo? So you wanted to sort of mock him, but then you'd also want to say hello to him. So I asked my Thai guy if he could become the next Ronnie Woo Woo because Ronnie Woo Woo was getting old. And my Thai guy told me, as you'll hear, if I become the next Ronnie Woo Woo, that's great. That means I'll have the next generation of fans looking up to me like I looked up to Woo. And I thought that was hysterical. And now people are saying, does that mean that you're going to smell like urine, like Woo? 
no one's ever looked up to Ronnie Woo Woo. A, that's not true. People have have at least enjoyed Ronnie Woo Woo. We need to parse the language here. But Ronnie Woo Woo was beloved by some. Woo Woo, what's up? He'd get free tickets to games. People would buy Woo Woo drinks. They'd want to hang around with Woo. Now, maybe they were taking advantage of Woo and mocking Woo. But if you really didn't want him around you, then stop giving him a ticket and stop buying him drinks. And Woo Woo used his popularity to do such things. My Thai guy's just out there. He's having a good time. He's a diehard fan. He's catching a home run ball, and now they're just killing him on Twitter. Don't give this guy any publicity. What a joke. This guy should go crawl under a rock. Somebody should launch him off the bleachers. Hey, settle down. At underscore Jeff underscore Hicks. If you like pissing yourself and being seen as a Scrooge, sure. The best thing about this guy is that I'm not him. Stop making stupid people famous. He's not famous. He's my tie guy. Bill Vickers 8. Does this mean you also will smell like urine? Thanks, buddy. Let's see here. Barbecue Man, News Media 420. He was an obnoxious asshat. That's about woo-woo. I do like you from the KMB. Such is life. The kids should have tried harder. That's right. Teach him a lesson. This is actually a fair text, a fair tweet from my guy. Yeah, at Sheldon AYS. He's weak arse excuse. It would be different if he caught it, but he didn't. He reached over the kid just weak. There is some truth in that. My Thai guy would have been a lot cooler or would have been somewhat cooler if he had caught the ball on a fly. That's true. But if he had done that, the ball's going in the basket, you might be interfering with a home run ball. It wasn't like it was deep in the seats. He might have had to reach over. Next thing you know, you're in a review. They take it away. They, they award a double. Cubs don't win the game. So two sides of that coin. But bottom line, let's get to our guy, my Thai guy. Let's set the scene. It's the 10th inning. It's a tie game. My tie guy is in position. Kind of. Chris Sorley, my tie guy, take it from here. No, I usually sit right right in that front row where, where you saw the children were at. Right. So, um, you know, I get up, you know, and uh, I'm back and forth. I'm getting drinks. I'm obviously getting my ties. I'm getting a hot dog. I go back and forth all, all game. So when I leave, the kids know that they can scoot up there. It doesn't matter if it's in play. It doesn't matter if it's between innings. They know to scoot up there, wave, scream at the players. Chad will come out. You know, Franklin will come out. And, and they're back and forth. So I just happen to get a hot dog. And I, I, I see the kids in the front row. And I know it's the tent thing. So I said, ah, let them sit there. I'll just sit in the back because that's kind of where the kids were sitting behind me in the first place. And uh, just like you said, Schwarber hits the ball. I mean, I'm out there. I'm in the batting practice. I'm, you know, I, I, got, a, I got a decent line on the balls. I'm not not a professional by any means, junior ball hawk of sorts, if you will. And I, I see we're making a play for it. And uh, it's coming. It's coming close. And I, I see it, it. It's right there. And it hits the basket wall. I kind of hop in between the kids, scoop my glove, and you, you saw the rest. I turned to the crowd, raised the ball. The crowd went nuts. Now we're singing. <laughs> so, okay, hold on a second. The kids, yeah. are these your kids? Are they your friend's kids? Are they cousins? What do we got? No, no. Uh, the gentleman that was sitting next to me on my right 
last night and who was also there today, Robert, great guy, he's friends with Stephanie. Now, Stephanie had brought her two boys there, uh, Carson and Xander. Okay. And, uh, you know, they, they just decided to come out to the game. It's a beautiful night at the ballpark. Reds are in town. Cubs are doing well. So they decided to come out. And all game, uh, I, I did try and send you a picture. Not sure if you got it, but uh, we had a picture of all of them, all the boys with balls in their gloves because they had all brought their gloves. They knew better going to the bleachers without their gloves. <laughs> I, 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 that's that's good parenting. That's good That's good uh, supporting from an adult perspective on all levels here, Chris. And I, I did tweet out that picture with the kids with all the balls. Did you know when you were reaching for the ball that the kids were reaching for it at the same time? Uh, you know, the kids had, had been all day. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the usher there, he was telling the kids, hey, you know, you guys can't have the, the gloves over the wall there. I didn't really think that, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't see where I hit somebody. I didn't see where I got in the way. Maybe I, maybe I did. I, I'd have to take a, a better look at the video. Uh, I didn't look to me that I elbowed or hip checked or you know that's the thing when the home run ball is coming. If you've ever been out there and a ball comes toward you, there's going to be a little contact. Now, I'm not saying to be violent out there. You're in a crowd of people and you got a home run ball coming that everybody wants. You know, I, I've never caught a walk off home run until Tuesday. Uh, the way I'm hearing it, you didn't think that if you didn't reach down and get the ball, the kids weren't going to get it, so no one was going to have it. And then here you go. It's a it's a walk-off homer. It's the first time you've ever had one, and you, and, and they already have balls, so you're keeping it. Uh, you know, that's the thing. You know, if, if, I don't, if I don't get it and the kids don't get it, somebody else is definitely going to get it, and then that guy's the villain. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It didn't matter who got it. If, if one of the children didn't get it, that guy was going to be the villain for – moving, jumping, whatever kind of Superman move he's going to make into that basket. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, he's, going to be, he's going to be the bad guy then. So, you know, I, I'd, rather, uh, I, I'd rather have it that way anyways. You know what I'm saying? I'm a good guy. Yeah, if, you look at, if you look on the Twitter, if you look on the Facebook, all the good stuff, you'll see a lot of people defending me. I'm out there all the time. We're always helping the kids out. You know, they're throwing balls up there. I, I, I keep, I keep the, the homers. Chris. You know what I'm saying? If I, miss, if I flub a homer, well, if I get it, it lands near me. I'm looking for the first kid with the glove. Well, uh, and Chris, just let me, you know, I, I was a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, too, who went to baseball games, and nobody was giving me baseballs. You have to, you got to earn it, man. I hate to say it's a good lesson for the kids, but y y sometimes you got to learn the hard way. I know I've had to learn the hard way. I've, I've getting hit with balls. I never got it. When I was younger, this, this day and age, you know, that's just one of those things that happens. Um, the kids, uh, you know, the, the message I received from Robert via Stephanie said the kids had an epic time. They were super happy. Schwarber threw a ball. Noble was out there throwing them balls. Uh, I mean, you know, th these kids were, uh, I, I don't think super disappointed a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, we, like I said, you know, I, I'd rather change the culture out there and try to give the kids the balls. I get it, you know, every man for himself and all that. That's all fine and well for certain people. I don't try to play like that. You know, I, I, I want to have a ball. I I'll walk off home especially. I don't want to make it sound like, uh, like I said, I'm some villain or anything like that. People are going to have their own opinions. Totally got it. Totally got it. How many jerseys do you have with my tie guy? I know I saw you in the – you had, like, the blue and you got the white. How many jerseys do you have? Seven total, one for every day of the week. You have seven Mai Tai, Mai tai Guy jerseys. That's amazing. That's correct, sir. Is that because you drink a lot of Mai Tais? 
That is correct. I actually got that nickname, if you believe it, in the right field bleachers uh, many moons ago. Uh, again, I, I, I've always uh, loved the uh, refreshing Mai Tais in the Wrigley Field bleachers. And when I was much younger, we'll say 20 or so years ago, uh, I would imbibe quite uh, frequently and uh, harass the opposing players, kind of like I do today. And um, all of a sudden, well, I'm with a buddy of mine from, uh, from grade school, and someone kind of calls out, hey, Mai Tai guy, tell the left fielder, bleep. <laughs> So I told the left fielder, bleep. And he says, ah, yeah, good job, my tie guy. Good job, my tie guy. And you go back the next day, you go back the next week, people stop remembering you, you shake a few hands, maybe you get a phone number or two. Now you guys are at Murphy's having a beer. You guys go over to the G-Man, you have a beer. You know what I'm saying? Like, you catch up, you meet friends. I, I love people. What's the most Mai Tais you ever drank in one game? When I was 21, I knocked out 16 Mai Tais in a nine-inning game. <laughs> 16. How much did they cost at that point? Uh, they weren't that bad back then. Eh, 675, I want to say, was the number. Yeah, okay. That was, you know, 1999-ish, somewhere around there. Oh. Well, no, a little bit later, maybe uh, maybe 2000. And what's a Mai Tai now? Uh, Mai Tai now, uh, 11 bucks. 11 bucks. A bargain. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> relatively, <laughs> yes, yes. You know that you could possibly be the next Ronnie Wu, right? That could be in your future. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm getting to learn that now. Yeah, 2019 is uh, a, a fun uh, day and age that we're living in. So, uh, hey, if that happens, great. Like, I, I'm not out there to, to make a buck. Uh, I'm not out there to hustle or scam or hurt anybody. I, I, don't, I, you know, I, I don't believe in that. I, I like to treat people the way I want to be treated. Unfortunately, some people think I treated somebody a certain way, and they want to treat me in a way that doesn't really, unfortunately, reflect how I try to treat people. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's crazy how everything's been. It's, it, it's been fun. If I become the next Ronnie Rue, that's great. That means I'll have the next generation of fans looking up to me. Like I looked up to Ronnie myself. My main man, my tie guy trying to live and become the next Ronnie Woo Woo. Enjoy the conversation with my tie guy. Something that you don't get to do every day. Also, something you don't get to do every day is talk to one of the legends of baseball, and that is Hawk Harrelson. 40-plus years in the game, long-time, long-time TV announcer for the Chicago White Sox, retired, now a White Sox ambassador. But Harold Baines, one of the greatest players that I ever saw growing up, member of the 83 White Sox, played into his 40s. He went into the Hall of Fame this weekend with... Five others, Lee Smith and Mike Mussina and Mariano Rivera, all going in to the Hall of Fame. But Hawk, of course, watched Harold play. And when you talk to Hawk, you talk about Harold, but you talk about baseball. And this conversation gets into steroids and the Hall of Fame, which interestingly uh, revolved in this conversation, at least, around Sammy Sosa. So here is Hawk Harrelson. As we start out, I'm asking him about Harold Baines. And Harold was a renowned clutch hitter, and that was something that Hawk appreciated. You know, I played with a guy who won a triple crown uh, one year in 1967 when we won the pennant when I was playing with the Red Sox, and that was Carl Yastrzemski. And Carl Yastrzemski, uh, to this day, was the 
the greatest clutch hitter I've ever seen with Big Poppy being close. You know, Big Poppy had, you know, a long time there where he was just awesome. And Harold Harold is in the top five. There's no question about that because – and I can tell you one thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I can tell you that uh, against good left-handed pitching, because Yastrzemski was a left-handed hitter, against good left-handed pitching in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, you know, when you're facing guys like Plesak and all the you know, Sparky Lyle and all those uh, good left-handed relievers, Harold Baines was the best in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning that era of Saul, facing good left-handed uh, relievers. And he was just a, a terrific teammate. And all of us were so disappointed all this long time. He should have been there a long time ago because you get guys like, you know, like a Harold, you get Bert Blylevin, who didn't get in until a long time later. And we're just so happy to see Harold because he was the, he was the optimum teammate. You know, Harold, and also he was the quietest guy. Well, actually the second quietest guy I've ever seen of all the thousands of players that I've ever, ever been around, talked to, played with, played against. And uh, one of the greatest interviews I ever saw in my whole career was Drysdale and I, when he was, he was my partner. And and we had about five or six minutes to kill. We had to carry it to the uh, top of the uh, hour. And they came over and said, uh, Don, go down and interview Drysdale. And he looked at me and sort of shrugged his shoulders. And I thought they were going to say, Hawk, go down and interview Drysdale, you know. So Don got up and went down there. We had about five or six minutes to kill. And walking down there and getting down on the field, I knew what Don was doing. He was trying to figure out how he was going to interview Harold Baines for five or six minutes. <laughs> right? Not easy. And you know where I'm, you know where I'm going? That's right, Mark. You're in the business. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So Harold, I mean, Don went down, and he's interviewing Harold. And he is prefacing every question anywhere from 45 minutes to uh, 45 <laughs> seconds to a minute. And then Harold would say, yes. Then he would ask him another question. He prefaced it about another 45 seconds to a minute. And Harold would say, maybe. <laughs> he would preface another question for 45 seconds to a minute. Harold would say, no. <laughs> Finally, he got done. And i tell you what, when he got done with the interview, I gave. I was up in the booth. I stood up and gave him a standing O because that was one of the greatest interviews I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> that that's that's why he was getting paid the big bucks right there, Hawk. I, I I'm wondering, you know, because you you didn't get in from the baseball writers. It, it took the Hall of Fame committee coming in, and and Jerry Reinsdorf's on that committee, and and guys who had just tremendous respect for Harold, who clearly deserves to be in there. But I'm wondering if you think that. He didn't get in originally because he was so soft-spoken, and guys who were covering the game, who had the votes, they probably got frustrated talking to him. Yes, that was a huge reason, Mark. That was a, I think it was the reason, really, that he didn't get in earlier. And there are a lot of times there are reasons, you know, you know with the voters, so to speak. It's like Jim Rice when I was with the Red Sox and uh I used to tell Jimmy, I said, that, 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 after the games, uh, I'd listen to the, you know, I'd be in the clubhouse and listen to him talking to the writers. And finally, Jimmy and I played a lot of golf together. And he's like a son uh, to us. And I would tell him, I said, damn it, Jimmy, you got to be nicer to the writers. They got a tough job to do. And if, if you're not nicer to the writers, I'm telling you, that they're going to wait to the last year of your eligibility before you go in the Hall of Fame. And and sure enough, he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't. And he's a wonderful person. Don't get me wrong. 
But he just couldn't do it. And then they did indeed make, make him wait to the last year of his eligibility before they put him in the Hall of Fame. And a lot, that, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances. I mean, how could you keep Burt Blyleven, you know, one of the greatest right-handed pitchers in the history of the game? I mean, there's no question about it. I remember, uh, I remember a guy named Santana they had, Johan Santana, the, the, the twins had. Uh-huh. And we couldn't crush him. We couldn't beat him. And yet we knew everything he was throwing. Uh, he tipped his pitches, and we still couldn't do anything with him. So there was a game that uh, he was pitching, and he left after the eighth inning, and uh, he had a shutout. So Dutchman went down and, and talked to him after the game. He said, Johan, he said, why did you leave? You don't want that shutout? He said, well, Bert, he says, you know, shutouts are hard to come by. Did you ever have any? Bert looked at him and said, 60. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Know your history a little bit. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's, it's just wonderful. Harold's a gentleman. Uh, you know, he's a pretty good player, too. He's a pretty good golfer. He's got a beautiful golf swing. He and, and Junior, Ken Griffey Jr., they both have beautiful golf swings, and they can hit it a long way. They're good players. I think Harold probably is a little better player than Junior, but uh, – you know, he's in, on the golf course, he's the same way. The only thing he'll do on the golf course is he'll smile a little bit more. And when you get a smile from him, you know, that speaks volumes. But where he really made his mark with the players around all of Major League Baseball and with us was in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning because he's the guy that got the job done. And those, that's the way I judge guys. Don't tell me what the hell you hit. Tell me when you hit it. There are a lot of guys that go out and hit 290, 300, and hit 15, 16 home runs, driving 60, 70 runs, and it doesn't mean a whole bunch because it's coming when the score is, you know, eight to one, ten to two, something like that. And that's the way Yastrzemski was. Yastrzemski and Harold were the two poster child uh, children for guys getting the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning in a two-one, three-two, two-nothing ball game, and and driving in one or two runs or two or three runs. And the the irony of that is that when we jumped out to a big lead, say, you know, seven to nothing, eight to two, in the first three or four innings, hell, maybe we'll go one for four, one for five in that ball game. And Yaz was the same way. Uh, if we won a game 11 to nothing, he's liable to go for five or one for, four, one for five. But you get in those close ball games, then that's where they, that's where they made their impression on their teammates and everybody else around baseball. Harold from 93 to 2001. Now this is, you know, the, the end of his prime and then the twilight of his career. He was on a one-year contract every single one of those years. So he knew he had the pressure that he had to go out there and perform or else his career could be over. And he went out and did it again and again and again and again So he, to play into his 40s. To, to me, that's super impressive, Hawk. Well, pressure, you know, the biggest killer performance mark in, in, in professional sports or in life uh, is, is pressure. That's the biggest killer performance. And you have to have a way of handling it, you know. And it, it uh, Yaz had his own way. Yaz was a very unique guy. Usually when you see guys who are great in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, those guys are a little unique. They're a little different than, than the average person. They have learned how to handle the pressure. And, you know, it's like, uh, my first four or five years in the, in the major leagues, I stunk. I was I was a strong kid, you know, and could hit a long way. That's the only reason they kept me. But I, 
the pressure just ate me up. And then finally, Ted Williams and uh, and Joe Conan got to me and got started talking to me about not mechanics, not the swing or anything of that. What they're doing now with swing angles and exit velocity and all that stuff. But they got into my head, and there's a difference. You've got to have an approach. If you've got a good, solid approach, then you can have a way to relieve the pressure. And I did it also with Hawk. You know, you're talking with Ken right now, but Hawk was the guy who we, I used to sit on the on-deck circle, and I'd say, okay, Hawk, let's, let's get this thing together. We've got to do something here. And it was. And, uh, I talked to Dick Schwartz, who's one of the uh, world-renowned psychologists, and he said it's very, very common that guys, especially athletes who are good athletes, would have an alter ego that when the pressure and the heat got on, that they called on their alter ego, either consciously or subconsciously. And and Harold handled the pressure. He handled the heat because you can't do what those guys do, like a Miguel Cabrera, like a Big Poppy, you know, like a George Brett, you know, like a you know Albert Pujols. You can't do. And now we're seeing it in, in Mike Trout, you know, and Bryce Harper. You can't do what they do in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning unless they have an approach. And that approach takes the heat off. Because when you step into that batter's box against a good major league pitcher, you better have a sense of control. Because if you don't, he's going to have it 60 feet, 6 inches away. And if you don't have a sense of control, then you're probably going to go 0 for 4, 0 for 5. And and that's what uh, Harold was able to do, as I said. He's the best left-handed hitter against good left-handed relievers in the 7th, 8th, and ninth that, that I've ever seen. I could talk about pressure all all day with you, Hawk, because it's it's one of the things I love to watch. Here's a guy who's coming up to the big leagues, and the, and the White Sox have a lot of guys who are on the fringe. Will they be here? Will they not be here? Charlie Tilson just gets sent out. Adam Engel's up. Ryan Cordell's hanging around. And are you going to make it? Are you not? Are you going to have a cup of coffee in the big leagues? And you've got to handle it every time. You get four at-bats a night, and maybe you're playing two days a week. And how do you settle yourself down in that moment? And then to go to the great players – who do it in the biggest moments when the crowd's going crazy, it's on the line for yourself, for your team, and all of it, and you're able to, as you're, I guess the way you're boiling it down is like, okay, this is my approach and this is what I do. That's right. And, you know, we had a guy, when he joined us, the first few months he was with us, I was really I was really concerned about him. In fact, I told my wife, Eris, uh, I said, honey, I'm concerned about Polly. And she said, why? I said, because he's going to kill himself. I said, he didn't know how to take an 0 for 4. Mm-hmm. That's Canerico. Yep. Finally, Polly learned how to take an 0 for 4. And like Ted Williams said, he said, Hawkey said, a lot of times you're going to go to that plate. And that guy 60 feet, 6 inches that night is going to be better than you are. And you've got to understand that. You've got to be able to accept that because, for an example, now, if I go to the plate and I'm going to face a Corey Cooper or Jake Arietta, I don't care how good I'm swinging a bat. If they hit their spots, I'm probably going to go over four, but I have to understand it. And that's what Paulie did, Canerico. He learned how to take an over four to where he wouldn't beat himself up so bad. And, you know, he'd go in that before, he would go into dugout after striking out or going over four. You know, he'd throw his helmet, break a bat, whatever. And he finally learned how to become one of the best clutch hitters in, in baseball. You know, Paulie hit, what, 432 home runs. And he'd hit a lot of them in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. Now, he's not in my top five, but I'll tell you what, he's in my top 10 or 15 that I've ever seen because of when he did it. And there was not a better – the only guy I've ever seen in my whole career of all the thousands of players I've seen and played with and played against 
who was a better fastball here than Paul Canerico was Frank Howard. And he was the guy, you know, it was 6'8", 303 pounds with a 37-inch waist, played with the Dodgers, you know, played with Washington. And he was the greatest fastball hitter I've ever seen. And Paulie was, is the second best because, I'll tell you, you couldn't shoot a 30-30 by that guy. <laughs> I, I, you're, make, you're making me think right now about Game 2 of the 05 World Series right now, Hawk. And that was the seventh inning, Grand Slam, of, which, uh, I don't know, one of the biggest home runs, if not the biggest, in White Sox history. And, the, and, and U.S. Cellular Field at the time, now guaranteed rate field, nearly came down. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was looking for it. He got it. And the key is when you you know when you look when you're a good fastball hitter. Now I was a good fastball hitter, but not in that category. I was not in Paulie's category as far as being a good fastball hitter, because a lot I'd get a good fastball a lot of times, and I you know hit it hard, but I'd put too much top spin on it, or I pop it up, or hit it out of the ballpark foul. Paulie hit it hard and put it in play, and and usually had the right you know the right angle to get it out of there. And that's the reason that he became such a, a great clutch hitter. And, and I'll tell you another guy that was a good clutch hitter, too, was Jermaine Dye. Mm-hmm. Jermaine was a good clutch hitter in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. That's one of the reasons, you know, that we won, you know, the world championship in 05. So, you know, it's it, again, as you mentioned, you touched on it just a while ago. We've got guys on our team this year who are not going to be here next year. You know, we've got some, we've got next year, we've got a chance. We got a chance to be, uh, I mean, a, a force, a factor. And then in 2001 or 2021, we got a chance to be a monster. And I, I, I am just so forward. I told I told Jason Benetti, who who's doing a great job. And I told uh, Jason, I said, you're a lucky young man. You're coming in at just the right time. You're coming in at a time where this club is, you know, is going to be struggling a little bit uh, in 2018, 2019. But come 2020 and 2021, this club's got a chance to be a monster. And I, as I said, it's Sox Fest. In my opinion, starting in 2020, it's got a chance to be the greatest baseball decade or decade for baseball in Chicago history because the Cubs are good. They're not going to go anywhere. they got a great manager, as we do. And with the talent that we're going to have, I mean, and the talent they've got, it's going to be fun to watch those two clubs uh, butt heads. And, and I think we'll have a chance somewhere in that decade to see uh, an inner city cross town World Series. Be unbelievable. You got to come out of retirement for that one, Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll be, you know, I'll be sitting here watching, uh, watching the game with my Schmerinoff right beside me. <laughs> Hey, before you go, I, I just wanted to ask you one historical moment with, with Harold, and, and that's 1989 where the White Sox trade him to the Rangers and they get a guy by the name of Sammy Sosa, who I know you loved, uh, in the Panther, and, and, and Wilson Alvarez. And Jerry Reinsdorf goes and retires Harold's number when he comes back with Texas because he was having a hard time not having him. The Sox were in a rebuild then, you know, similar to what they were in uh, you know, a couple of years here. I, I'm just curious what you remember about that that hawk in that time and seeing a guy like that leave. I remember vividly when uh, we got when we got Sammy. Uh, you know, he was slimmed down and everything, and uh, that's why I called him the Panther. You got a good memory, Mark. <laughs> and and uh, then I remember the day also that that uh, we traded him, 
to the Cubs for George Bell. And I was driving into the parking lot in, in uh, Sarasota in spring training. Jerry called me, so we just uh, traded Sosa. And I was happy because he and – I love Walter Reniak as, as a person. He's, he's, he's a great guy. But he and Sammy did not get along. It's just that simple. I mean, and I was – and I would talk to Sammy almost every day, you know, and I'd, uh, I'd tell him, Sammy, I said, keep your dobber up, buddy. I said, you know – there are there are other clubs out there, and sure enough, he went to uh, the Cubs, and he had you know uh, an unbelievable career. Which, in my opinion, you know a lot of this stuff about the PEDs that's going on. You take you know you take a guy like uh, Roger Clemens, seven times Cy Young Award winner, and and uh, and you take a guy like Mark McGuire, who was using androstein dioxin, which you could buy over the counter. Then it was legal. He had in his locker. He had it in his locker. It was just it was displayed. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Hawk. It was incredible. That's no, how it was. No, he had it in his locker. Is right. Yeah. You know, you could go. You could go to uh, the PNC store and uh, and uh, and buy it. You know, right over the counter. And he did. You think Roger Clemens was taking anything to add another two miles an hour on his fastball? Anybody that thinks that's an idiot, because of the fact that. Here's a man that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I've never met this other guy that I'm going to mention, uh, and I don't want to meet him because I heard he's not a very nice guy, and that's Barry Barnes. But I also know I've heard that he might be the greatest player we've ever seen in the game of baseball, period. And for him not to be in there, in my opinion, is a joke. I mean, it really is. There are a lot of guys who are in there right now who are clean, like the big hurt, Frank Thomas, was, you know, he was clean as a whistle. And, 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 and those guys don't like to hear about the possibility of these other guys being inducted into the Hall of Fame. But I got to tell you that, you know, when you talk about uh, the Hall of Fame, that is, that is something that's just surreal, so to speak, to, you know, baseball players. I've been there a few times and played in a couple of Hall of Fame games, you know, when we were up there. And, boy, when you walk around the halls there and you look at the plaques and you – you know, and you look at some of the videos and stuff like that. That's quite a thing. And and I was going to go up tomorrow for Harold's Day, but we have already scheduled a family affair and a family event. My family's coming in from a couple of other states, so I couldn't make it. But I'll tell you, I'll be watching it on TV. He's such a, as I said, uh, he's such an asset to the game of baseball, and it was such a great person. And, you know, you take out there another guy if they've got a chance to go in there is, is Mark Burley. Sure. You know, Mark Burley is, is, is a guy who – Don Drysdale's in the Hall of Fame, and you know that Mark Burley won more games than Don Drysdale. And uh, we're going to think I have a conference call uh, tomorrow uh, – Monday, rather. I was talking to uh, Bobby Bechtel. Uh, that's the anniversary of his uh, perfect game, which is, uh, you know, of all the thousands of games that I've ever called – that is the the most exciting game that I've ever called, ever, uh, because of the person. You know, I called another perfect game, and I called, I think, 11 or 12 no-hitters. But if, if the guy's not what you call a real good guy, in my opinion, then all you do is after the game you go up, you slap him on the fanny and say, nice going, kid, you know. But when you see a guy like a Mark Burley or a Robin Ventura, you know, when he was playing, those are my two favorite 
all-time White Sox players, is Mark and, and Robin. Those guys don't come along very often. And when you get guys like and that was one thing that Kenny and Jerry always wanted to do, was make sure they checked on the character of the players they were signing and character of the players they were trading for. And uh, over in my 33 years of announcing with the uh, with the Sox, Hawk, you belong in that Hall of Fame too, man. For everything you've done, contributing to baseball and what you mean to the sport, from from this vantage point, as far as broadcasters and players and all that, uh, you you should you should be joining them someday, Hawk. So anyway, that's that's just my opinion. But uh, we miss you, and uh, I, I thank you so much for talking. All right, Mark. Anytime, buddy. Anytime you want to talk, give me a buzz. Love talking to my guy, Hawk Harrelson. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. We'll make my final thoughts this week about that exact conversation. PED steroid users in the Hall of Fame. That topic will not go away with the induction ceremonies coming this week. Clean guys, we think, going in. In my mind, if you cheated the game like Barry Bonds did and Roger Clemens did and Sammy Sosa did, I personally would not vote for you. I know guys cheated in the past and they got into the Hall of Fame and people want to use that as some reason, but those dudes shouldn't be in either. And taking greenies or even whatever you were doing, if let's say you were high on cocaine, that's not the same as performance-enhancing drugs. It's just different to me. But here's the other side of the argument. If you are going to put in Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, those are the two poster childs that people want in. Well, then you have to put in Rafael Palmero. You have to put in Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa, we were just talking about. The guy hit 600 plus home runs. He's the only player in baseball history to have 60 plus homers in three separate seasons. That's ridiculous. So if you start putting the PED guys in, then that list gets pretty long. And that's cool. You can have a big Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and we can have lots of ceremonies. Maybe we can have a big PED ceremony one day. But it's not just Bonds, and it's not just Clemens if you go down that road. I wouldn't put him in, but if you are going to put him in, that list is pretty significant. Thanks for checking out On The Mark. Those are my final thoughts. Please subscribe, give a rating, and tell your friends. Send a link. Pass it along. On the Mark comes out every Monday afternoon. Thanks to Hawk Harrelson. Thanks to Mike Ty Guy. And thank you for listening. This has been On the Mark with Mark Carmen. David Kaplan will be on the show next week. We will see you next Monday afternoon or whenever you download and listen to On the Mark. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.